Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because I am joined by the managing editor of DailyDead.com, the author of Monsters, Makeup, and Effects, Conversations with Cinema's Greatest Artists, the co-host of Craven Craven, and most importantly, my horror BFF. Please welcome back to the show, Heather Wixen. Hi, Heather. Hello. Wow, I'm going to need you to like hype me up wherever I go, because I'm just like, yeah, I'm Heather Wixen. What's going on? <laughs> You're the horror chick, okay? You have an online brand. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm online, <laughs> though, that's for sure. You are hashtag very extremely online trademark. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start using that. Hashtag very extremely online. <laughs> That's what we all need to be. You know, we're not, we're not no, that, so. no, I will never be. Um, it is Lethal Ladies Day for June exploitation, so Heather is here with me to talk about 1996's *The Long Kiss Goodnight*, starring Gina Davis and directed by then husband Rennie Harlan. Uh, but before we get into all that, Heather, have you seen anything good lately? I have. I mean, I'm. I was so late to the party. So one, um, I finally got to see Top Gun Maverick, and I loved it so much. Did you? Okay. So I did. I really, really did. And I didn't know it was going to make me emotional, but I actually cried at the end. Um, and so, it, and it was like one of these things where it sort of like unlocked a lot of things from like my childhood. Um, and I'll, I'll keep my diatribe short, but like when I was in grade school, um, around third grade, which was probably around the time, like Top Gun came out in theaters. Um, my mom started dating this guy. His name was Dan. And eventually then Dan moved in with us. And he was actually one of my mom's boyfriends. that like, I really loved, like he lived with us for a few years. Uh, he's the reason I started listening to dire straits. Um, <laughs> and his, like his point break was Top Gun. Okay. Um, to the point where, like, he had a copy of it that, like, was at our house, but he also had a copy of it at his mom's house. And his mom, Eileen, uh, lived in Niles. And I remember we would go there on, um, like, a couple weekends every month just to go and hang out and stuff. And that was also the the beginning of my love of Slurpees because her house was two houses away from a 7-Eleven. And so I would walk over and get a Slurpee. So that was, like, my introduction to Slurpee life. Um, hashtag slurpy life hashtag slurpy life Um, (laughs) living that slurpy life i could use a slurpy uh sponsorship i'm just saying (laughs) what is your Um, favorite flavor of slurpy oh it's it's always coke but i do like to add a little wild cherry into it okay i'm i'm so i'm so i'm such a basic bitch like i just (laughs) i love a good coke slurpy um but wild cherry with it is like a nice little punch um when I was a kid, I used to, there used to be like, they used to do grape back then. And there was a really good grape flavor. I liked that one back then. Um, sometimes they have a lemonade one, which is actually pretty good. That's the one um, my kids like. like. They're into the lemonade one. Yeah. I don't like the mystery one. So, and I think last summer they actually had an iced tea one. Ew. Which was actually pretty, pretty good. Well, it just tasted like iced tea with ice in it. I don't like iced tea. Oh, that's weird. I'm sorry you're so weird. I like Ice-T, the rapper and actor, but I don't like the drink. (laughs) Well, who doesn't? He sells Cheerios now. Um, (laughs) He's everywhere. Um, But yeah, so it was like, and like, so Top Gun was so huge for him. And I remember we watched it like all the time. 
And like, it was one of those things, like I just really hadn't thought about him in like a long time. And I, I'd actually looked him up like a few years ago and I found out he passed away in like 2010 or something oh, like sorry. that. Yeah. I and mean, he worked, he worked at the Warner brothers distribution center, you know, outside of O'Hare. So he was like, would bring me home stuff and, you know, got me into like all kinds of different things. And, you know, it was always bringing me soundtracks and he had the best, uh, station wagon for the drive-in and stuff like that because we could lay on top and we weren't too high up and stuff like that and it was just you know he was he was one of the boyfriends my mom had that i always really really loved and was always sad when things didn't work out with them and um so it was like we were sitting there and i just got hit with this wave of like holy shit like i wish he was still here to see this yeah because one i couldn't like i never imagined we were getting a top gun sequel uh, let alone did I ever imagine it was actually going to be as freaking amazing as it was. Um, and I mean, it's the, 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 the plot is very basic. Like it's very much in the same vein as the, the original in terms of like, here's your setup. We're going to go do some action sequences. They're going to be rad as hell. We're going to have a conclusion, blah, blah, blah. But I like the fact that like, it wasn't trying to make certain countries or entities in the world that weren't us look bad. It was very generic in that way i was not expecting all the stuff with Val kilmer and that made me really emotional sure um because did you watch his documentary i did yeah and so like just seeing him again and getting to sort of be that character one last time and how that all kind of plays out was just like oh boy okay i wasn't expecting all this and you know, so I just, it was like a really great driving experience that I just wasn't expecting to be crying at the end of. <laughs> um, so for me, like, that was just like, oh, that was like summer movie magic. Um, and so, like, beyond that, I've been doing Tribeca stuff, which has been really fun because um, there's been some really good stuff out of there that basically, like, if you're, if you're a subscriber to Shudder, most of it's going to be there pretty soon. <laughs> it's like the Shudder um, pre show. It really is, but that's that's the power of Shutter. Because what I like about Shutter is, is, is one, it's the fact that you know if you've got really good independent horror, chances are it's going to show up there. Mm -hmm. But I also realized over the last few months how much of it also feeds into AMC Plus and their other like the other AMC like content platforms. Mm -hmm. So it really is giving a lot of filmmakers all this extra access, you know, to audiences that maybe otherwise wouldn't look for these movies right um which i think is really interesting so but travis stevens his uh most recent movie a wounded fawn premiered there um which has just a delightfully demented performance by josh rubin that like i was not prepared for in any way shape or form um and the movie is just like chaos <laughs> But, like, in a really great way. I don't know how to explain it, but, like, if you told me that somehow Travis got into a time machine and made this movie in the 70s, minus the cell phones, I would believe it. Okay. Um. So, I really, that's one I recommend. Like, it's not going to be a movie that's going to be for everybody, but it was very much a movie for me. Um. And so, that was really good. I'm trying to think of, like, the other stuff. I saw this movie called Next Exit, which is very genre adjacent. Um. But it's basically about like they've sort of confirmed the existence of ghosts and that there is an afterlife. And so there's this doctor who's sort of studying the phenomenon and asking people to basically like agree to participate in 
killing themselves so that they could sort of study what happens after, um, which obviously is very triggering for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think that the way um, the filmmaker handles it uh, is done in a very thoughtful way and not in a way that feels really like where it's trying to be sort of, I'm trying to think of the way, like where it's, it's not just offering up the concept as a means to provoke people. It's, to sort of get people to think about their lives, not necessarily the act. Um, but it has uh, Raul uh, Coley in it from uh, Midnight Mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so good. Like, my God. Uh, he is phenomenal in that. Um, so that was a really, another great movie. I'm trying to think of, it's, you know my life has been a blur like the last six weeks. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm trying to think of like, I know I've seen other movies. Um <laughs> I will say, did you see Unhuman yet by any chance? I have not. Yeah, and that's the latest from Marcus Dunstan, which I didn't know exactly what that movie was going to be, and it takes some pretty surprising turns, but I think if you're up for the journey that they take you on, uh, it's pretty fun. Okay. So that's another one. I think that might be on Paramount Plus. Oh, I don't have Paramount Plus. I don't either, um, but, you know, it's out there. So I've been thinking about it because apparently you get a discount if you're a student, which I didn't know. So, oh, you know, all right. looks like you can rent it on, it. you can rent it on Vudu. It looks like. Okay, cool. But yeah, that one was uh, pretty wild. And I'm trying, God, I'm trying to think, like, I keep covering all these things, but what am I actually seeing? I don't know anymore. Um, I think the problem is, is like, there's just so much to keep up with right. that it's just, it's getting exceedingly harder. But, I did just finally finish the first season of Severance, and it is everything that everybody said it was. I need to watch it. I haven't started it yet. You do. You do. It's. I was like, okay, this will probably be pretty good. And then by the end of it, I was like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I was like, I'm so glad I made time for that. So, yeah, yeah. that's one I definitely recommend. So, Oh, and, sorry, I'll not no. shut up. Uh, another thing we watched that I wasn't expecting to love as much as I did but we kept seeing commercials for it, and Brian's like, they're going to totally make me watch the show. Uh, we actually finally caught up with the flight attendant. Oh, and? With... It's really good. Okay. Like, it's really good. Like, if we're talking about, like, sort of fierce females and stuff like that, like, I really like Kaylee Cuoco in it a lot. All right. Um, so I I was genuinely surprised by how much I enjoyed uh, both seasons of that show. Because I was just kind of like, all right, what, what the hell? We got HBO. Let's just do it. Um, and yeah, super awesome. Yeah. Eric and I were both kind of back and forth on that. Like, do we start this show? We have other shows we need to finish. Uh, so we're working our way through finishing some other shows. And then my guess have you is finished Cobra Kai yet. No, <laughs> we oh haven't. My God, Patrick. I'm sorry. Are you at least enjoying what you've seen? Yeah. But then we like have taken a long break. So I need to get back oh. into it. Cause then we started, yeah, you know, you we have to finish like Ozark and we're just hate watching Ozark at this point. Everything's just dark and blue and we don't care about anything, but it's like, we know we have four left, so we just have to finish it. Um, okay. And uh, we're trying to finish Barry and, uh, and watch movies at the same time. And so, but one of these days I will get around to the flight attendant. Okay. Yeah, it's. I was really surprised by it, to be very honest. Like, I was just kind of, I was like, all right, whatever. And then I was like, oh, I'm really into this. So, yeah. you know, I I definitely recommend it. I was not expecting it to be what it was. All right. And I'll leave it at that because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the ride for anybody. All so, right. 
Um, oh, we also just started this week playing The Quarry, which is like this new horror game. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. It's basically um, sort of like a like every decision you make in the game like changes like it's like a choose your own adventure video game where like every little decision you make and every little movement like leads towards something. So like even you like being chased in a forest and you trip over a branch changes the trajectory of your character. But it's amazing because it's like it has like all these really fantastic actors in it. Um, Like a lot of young actors, the guy totally blanking on his name, but he was Dave in Halloween 2018. And he was also in Daniel isn't real. Yes. Um, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I don't know his name. Yeah. And he's in it. And uh, so is Lynn Shay and Lance Henriksen and David Arquette. Is it like a video game? Yeah. Okay. It's like, but it's like this huge horror story where like you're, you're at a summer camp and you're supposed to leave, but oops, you're not going to leave. And you know, the guy running the camp who's David Arquette is like, you know, you have to stay tonight, go in the house, don't leave the house, but of course you leave the house. Um, and chaos ensues, but we just started it a few nights ago. I've been watching Brian play it as I work on other stuff. Um, so I can do a, like a write up about it, but it's amazing. I can't wait to play it through it again and do make different decisions. Cool. Uh, oh, and Ted Rainey's in it too. Nice. Yes. And it is like super duper fun. Um, I'm totally blanking on there was another really popular game that's very much like it that we played a few years ago. It might have been called Until Dawn. I don't know. Sometimes like these game names just kind of like blend together in my head because I'm old now. Um, But that was another one where you had to like make all these different decisions and it really affected the outcome of like how the game plays out for you and stuff. Like whether you survive or you get killed and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's very much like if you're, if you're somebody who's into like choose your own adventure stuff, like you don't even have to be good at playing video games to play it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well then because it's just like, you're, you're speaking my language. Yeah. Cause like I, I can't do like something like left for dead or, you know, things where you have to aim and shoot at stuff, but this is just like making decisions and pushing a button at the right time. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can do, I can do basic stuff in Skyrim also, but like, yeah, it's one of those where I'm like, I highly recommend it. Like to anybody out there who's been sort of on the fence, like I have been loving it so far. Cool. Yeah. So. So um, what what have you been? What have you guys been watching? Well, you Lots know, most exploitation. Yeah, stuff? most of my stuff has been June exploitation. Um, we did take a break from June exploitation for one night to watch a movie that I had heard about out of some festivals called Pleasure, which is. Oh, yeah, like I my second least favorite word, maybe ever. Uh, it's just Mo- a, is moist number one. It's not. I don't. I won't even oh. say my number one, but it's in the same oh. family as moist. It really any word that's used to describe food, uh, I don't like. Oh, I like the word pleasure because I can quote the movie Friday when I say that because we always we always quote the line where he's like when he talks about being a dog catcher and he's like that's my pleasure. <laughs> well, it's not so bad when you say it like that. Yeah, so, you know, use it in that context. <laughs> All right, I need, so I how is, need to watch how, how, is, how is your pleasure? Uh, it's, like, interesting. So it's it's written and directed by somebody named Ninja Thyberg, which is a pretty amazing name, and it's based on her short film. Um, she's a Swedish filmmaker, and she made a short film in 2013 and then turned it into a feature this year. And it's essentially about this young Swedish woman played by Sophia Kappel, Capel, I don't know how you would say that, um, who wants to get into 
the adult film industry. And um, that's essentially the whole movie. It's just her different encounters. It's, it's a little bit all about Eve with porn, but it's basically just her various encounters. And it's really graphic. You know, that was something that I had heard coming out of festivals is that there's a lot of graphic stuff in there. I just didn't feel like... It has some interesting things in terms of being told very much from the female perspective, and you're not, you're, we're not always used to seeing porn sort of talked about that way or shot that way. Um, but I just didn't think it was all that interesting, aside from being sort of provocative and shocking. I didn't think the story that it had to tell was very original or compelling, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was one that I was gonna check out during because I think it played at Sundance. Yeah, that sounds and, right. And yeah, and I was gonna do it, and then I was like, I just ran out of time. Yeah. So all right. You're kind of fine. And then we did all a right. June exploitation bug double feature. I've been watching all these 1982 movies because obviously it's the 40th anniversary of my favorite movie year ever. So for Bug Night, we did uh, a double feature of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Nice. Are you oh, a, are God, you a Wrath of Con- oh. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, God. I think that's actually the only Star Trek movie that I've ever seen. It's the best one, so you're doing okay. It is. Oh, it is, because you have Ricardo Montalban with that amazing chest plate. Uh, and the earwig scene, like, scarred me for life. Because I remember watching that as a little kid. Yes, me too, um, and it's and, very upsetting. And yeah, no. Oh, oh, it's it's terrifying. <laughs> I think actually, if I'm not even mistaken, I think the night, the first time I ever watched it, I watched it at Jenna's house, and we literally—I'm not even joking—I think we put cotton in our ears that night. When we <laughs> and I might have done it for a few weeks after. Oh yeah, no, no, because I think I saw that when I was like five. Yeah. Because it would have been the next year on VHS. So yeah, right. great movie though. I really love. I, I really like Wrath of Khan a lot. Such a good movie, and, you know, I put out on Twitter something about it's the best Star Trek movie, and, of course, I get a lot of people jumping in with, like, well, you forgot oh, about four, yeah. you forgot about six, you forgot about one, and it's like, that's fine, everybody can have their opinion. Uh, to me, two is the best of all of them. It's, like, the best Star Trek thing ever, I think, like, better than any episode of the show, better than, and I haven't seen all of Voyager, and I haven't seen all of Deep Space Nine but I think I've watched the rest of all of the Star Treks, except for the new stuff that's on Paramount Plus. I haven't seen that stuff. Um, okay. But I love Star Trek and I love Wrath of Khan. And then the second movie was, of course, think Bug uh, Movie 1982. Oh my God. I'm putting you on the spot. It was Creep Show. I are. Oh, oh, yeah. You mean the segment that I skip all the time now? Is an <laughs> Do adult you skip I'm that one? Well, because, like, I've never had to deal with cockroaches till I moved to L.A., and now we have to deal with them, and I don't want to see them. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. I know somebody just released a Creepshow t-shirt. It might have been Fruit Rags that actually has, like, cockroaches on it. I was like, why would you do that? It was Creepy Co. Creepy Co., that's who it was. And I was like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> are you are you trying to traumatize me? They are. I was like, no, thank you. That's their mission they statement. Are. They are. So, um, yeah. It's a great segment, but yeah, I can't watch it. It's it's too it's too much for me now because I never grew up with cockroaches. But now that I have to deal with them all the time, I'm just like no, because literally you cannot escape them in L.A. I don't care what you do. Yeah, we 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 literally clean our house like all the time. We're not dirty people, right? We don't even keep garbage in our house. Like literally, it's like two thirds full. I'm like out, it goes. 
you know, and we find extra stuff to throw into it just to fill the bag so we can get it out of the house. And yeah, but no, they come. You still like, wind you up with can't... cockroaches. Yeah, it's 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 horrifying. Yeah, they they crawl through our drains, which is even better. Oh gosh, that's a nightmare right oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's because that's right out of creep show. Like <laughs> it is. Yeah, because I literally went to take a shower a few weeks ago, and I was like, I turned the shower on, and I was like, oh, that's weird. There's something moving in the drain. And I was like, okay. And I was like, enough oh said. Gosh. I, I so hope I, uh, Erica listens to this episode because she is oh, freaking yeah. out right now if she's listening. Check your drains, Erica. Um, yeah, so I literally like came out and I was like, right, uh, you have to go deal with it. We have a visitor in the bathroom. We don't even, I don't even call them, co- we don't call them cockroaches. We call them visitors because we can't even deal with them. So, um, But I love that you watch Creepshow. Creepshow is amazing. So, is Creepshow, yeah. is Creepshow, and is it maybe this is just my 1980s childhood speaking, but is Creepshow the best horror anthology ever made? Yes. I think I mean, so, but I was looking for your expert opinion. Uh, I don't know if I have an expert opinion, but I have an opinion. I think, because I don't, like, technically, yes, Trick or Treat is anthology, but it's also sort of, like, separate stories that are technically, as it's revealed, layered into each other. So that's one of the movies, like, anthology movies that I think you could fudge and say, if you want, if somebody came to me and said that they don't consider Trick or Treat a a traditional anthology movie, I wouldn't argue with that. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Because of how connected those stories are. Um, but I think in terms of traditional anthology, where separate stories wrap around, blah, blah, blah. Because it, it's not like Ted Danson shows up in the wraparounds or anything <laughs> like should. that. You know, he should. Um, especially in the, in the amazing makeup uh, of Tom Savini. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, that movie was like huge for my childhood. So yeah. I have a poster somewhere Oh, nice for creep show. I really should, I really should frame it. Love so. that poster. I do too. It just, it's like the, the, the image of like the, the, the creep, the, the, the creeper in like the movie booth, like was just so much to me as a kid. Yeah. Like, how could I not watch that movie? Do you have a favorite segment? Um, I think it's uh, the the Leslie Nielsen Ted Dance Ted Danson one. Mine too. It used to be the crate, but I've really come around on uh, something to tide you over. Yeah, thank you for thinking of the names because I were I literally could just think of Father's Day and that's it. <laughs> um, I love the crate because I love um, Hal Holbrook. I love uh, Adrian Barbeau. I love the creature work yeah. in that one. Fluffy, um, right? Isn't that isn't that fluffy, what he called yeah, it? Fluffy. That's that's, a, that's a, yeah. Savini calls him. Um, but I think as an adult, there's just something about uh, the uh, the tied you over one that just really resonates with me. Where I'm just like, man, like there are movies out there that aren't like as good in terms of the storytelling, right? That are like 90 minutes. Like this that that story in 20 minutes accomplishes more than some 90 minute movies do. Um, and I just love it. I mean, it was just, it was like one of those things, like as a kid, you grew up watching cheers and, you know, you don't expect to see, you know, Ted Danson being so serious in that way. Hmm. And like Leslie Nielsen being scary, you know, right. Wasn't something I was, you know, even though I know he was into drama stuff before he did comedy, but that wasn't something I knew of as a kid. Um, 
you know, and just, I just like the idea of being buried, you know, alive like that and being stuck and, you know, made the idea of going to the beach, something of like a menacing feeling too, which like when you're a kid, the beach is supposed to be the greatest place ever. And you're like, mm-hmm. Oh wait, no people can go die there. So, um, <laughs> and it's just, it's so good. It like, is it so really good. Is I love fantastic. it. Yeah. I love. So, yeah. If that was, if that was an entire movie, like, you know, alone, I'd be happy. So, um, but yeah, creep show rules, creep show rules. I love it. Ooh, ooh. Uh, all right, let's talk about The Long Kiss Goodnight from 1996 in celebration of Lethal Ladies Day, because who is more lethal than Gina Davis in this movie? Oh, my God. You know, it's so funny because, one, I'd forgotten that she and Rennie Harlan were married for a while. Yeah. Um, And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I knew that. And then I forgot that Rennie <laughs> Harlan cheated on Gina Davis, which right. I'm just like, bro. Like I love Rennie Harlan, but that made me feel a little, a little grumpy. Where I was like, why would, why would you, why would you do that? Well, listen, the like, guy. I, she... He lost, uh, he lost Gina Davis, and he lost uh, his career. I mean, not totally, because he continues to make movies. He's still like doing fine, but he isn't like a Hollywood A-lister anymore the way he was. This is really him at kind of his peak powers, and then he cheats on Dean, Gina Davis and fucks it all up. Yeah, I mean, well, we did get Deep Blue Sea a few years later. True. And, you know, my, my, head, my head is like a shark's fin, so we, <laughs> we, we forever will have that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was just like, I was like, wait, what? And I and it's funny because I actually remember I, I saw this in theaters. It was down at the uh, theater in Bloomington Normal because um, I was at school. And I think me and my ex, I think we were maybe one of like, we were like two of like eight people in the theater. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely thinking that Cutthroat Island sort of screwed things up a little bit right, right, for both of them, which is a bummer because Gina Davis is like a total badass in this movie. And I, and I was say, saying this to you when we were chatting before we started, like, I'm really glad that you recommended this because I just... It's been a really like it's been at least 20 years since I've watched this movie and it was almost like watching it like for the first time. Sure. So it was it it allowed me to kind of fall in love with it again. Uh, So first and foremost, thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Because the rules. (laughs) Did you see this originally when it first came out? I saw it opening night. I saw it. uh, I had this tradition of not going to my high school's homecoming game. And instead going to the movies. And this would have been, I think, the first year uh, out of high school because I had graduated in 95. But I still, like Doug, my best friend, uh, was finishing high school. Well, October 96 would have, because I was in college. So this would have been your second. Oh, you're right. You're right. October 95. October 95, I was out. You're right. And I think I went to see Empire Records instead. But I think... Maybe nice. this was Doug's first year out, or I don't know. But instead of going to the homecoming game, I wanted to go see The Long Kiss Goodnight, and I think everyone bailed on me. So I went by myself to see The Long Kiss Goodnight. And uh, I, I'm i going to say something controversial. I like this movie. I don't love this movie. And I can't figure out what's oh, holding me not... back from loving it. It's it's it, There's a lot of imperfections to it. But I think for me, the rough edges... like. There's, there's a really great movie in here. Yeah. But 
I think that there are some societal things that hold it back. Like if you made this movie now, I think they would nail it. Okay. But that doesn't deter from the fact that I think Gina Davis rules. I actually like that Samuel Jackson during parts of it is ends up to kind of being the damsel in distress. Right. And I do think in certain ways this movie ends up sort of being a little bit of ahead of its time because I I think part of the reason, and I think this is something even Shane Black said, was like that one of the reasons that like people didn't necessarily go see it is because they weren't typically going to action movies that were led by women in the 90s. They weren't, and they still aren't. This just came up on the show a couple weeks ago, I feel like. Um, Because every couple of years we get, you know, Atomic Blonde or Haywire or I'm trying to think of some others, and none of them are huge box office sensations. And I don't think anybody's really cracked it yet. Um, Long Kiss Goodnight might still be the best example of the female-led action movie, and that has everything to do with, I think, Shane Black's script, just because I like Shane Black, uh, even though I don't think this is his best script. And everything to oh, do with, not by a long shot. with Gina Davis. I, I just love Gina Davis. I can't say enough good things about her. And she owns this movie in such a way that I I do believe that it, that it, it it's at least in part sexism. Because I can't think of a male star who crushes their role better than Gina Davis does here. I'm not saying that you know um, that there aren't male stars that don't that that don't that don't crush their action roles. Obviously, there are, but I think she's at least every bit as good as any of her male contemporaries in this movie. And yet, it wasn't a huge. It didn't turn into an action career for her, and it should have. It really should have. And it makes me wonder, like, do you wonder if part of it also is too because was, I don't remember if it was 94 or 95. I get confused. And when Die Hard of the Vengeance came out, but that Die Hard would have of been the 95. Was, okay. So we have 95. Die Hard of the Vengeance comes out before this, yeah. which also stars Samuel L. Jackson and also has their finale basically in the same location as <laughs> yeah, this it does, movie does. Yeah. Right. Where I was just like, that to me was like totally surprising because like lately on cable, they've been playing the Die Hard movies a lot. I'm not complaining at all <laughs> um, about it either. And as I was watching this, I was like, wait, this is how Die Hard with a Vengeance ends almost uh, minus the whole truck is a bomb scenario. Right. And, you know, and it, honestly, I think a lot of it might have been, too, like, in the 90s, like, we still weren't comfortable with women struggling with their roles as, as, as mothers in contemporary society. And the conflict that comes from that, especially from somebody who had this previous life, who, what you know, before she ended up having this, like, amnesia, never saw herself as anybody who was maternal. Because she was so quick to be ready as soon as her memories came back, you know, and she kind of transformed back into uh, Charlie Baltimore, which is like, you know, a pretty badass name. <laughs> um, like, you know, she was just like, screw it, I'm out of here. Like, I'm going to go and hook up with whoever and drink and I don't need the kid and I don't need this dude. Um, you know, and I don't know if people were ready for that back then. Where I think these days, because people talk about these things a little bit more, 
Um, and we've had more sort of pop culture explorations of how demanding motherhood can be, how demanding it is to be a woman, you know, who's supposed to fit certain, you know, societal roles, but ultimately has to give up parts of themselves to do these things. You know, we're a little more open to it now, which is like why I think like this movie today would do gangbusters. Yeah. And I think in 96, we just weren't there. And it's like, you go back and you look at the action movies that were happening in 96. Like another one is barbed wire, you know, which basically went largely ignored for a lot of unfortunate reasons. Um, but all of sort of the male, you know, led action movies from that year all ended up being sort of box office hits. I mean, maybe except for Escape from L.A. Sorry, Escape from L.A. Unfairly, Escape from L.A. is good. I haven't seen it in a really long time. <laughs> I remember it being kind of fun. I don't remember hating it or anything like it's that. It's fun. It's ahead I mean, of its I... time. It just has terrible effects. Yeah, it's one of those, like, I mean, I'm never going to, I'm never going to outright completely hate a Carpenter movie, so, you right. know, whatever. Right. But it's at the same time when you're getting movies like Eraser and Executive Decision, yeah. and yeah. wasn't The Rock in 96 also, too? It sure was. And I think Broken Arrow was around the same time, too, because that's when they were using the the song for Dewey bow, bow, and Scream. Bow, 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 bow. Yes, amazing. You know, and of course, like Denzel was doing a lot of stuff then too. So I like, you know, were we not prepared for a female? Like, were was society just so male centric at that point? Like, we just couldn't make room for it. I even forgot that like the Glitter Man was a thing, and I remember people going and seeing that movie. Yeah, that movie's not good. I. I actually never saw it. I still haven't seen it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, terrified. I'm good. Um, <laughs> but I have a lot of people I know that went and saw the Glitter Man because it was like, you know, it was Steven Seagal. And, you know, at that point, it was like, you know, you went and saw the Steven Seagal, Van Damme action movies. I think Van Damme even might have had a movie that year because I don't know many years in the 90s where he didn't have a movie, <laughs> which is good. It's a good thing. I'm not complaining. Um, you know, so I just, I don't know that people were necessarily looking for it which kind of is a bummer because i feel like there is room for that so but i think i think the movie is better than its reputation but it has issues i mean it's it's not like you said it's not shane black's best script you know i still think it's gina davis's best performance of a career um but i think it's one of her one of her best um you know and i think there's a little awkwardness too with sort of uh, I'm totally blanking. I had to look really quick. The dude who plays her love interest that she's like in a her, relationship with. It's the like, one who's her husband or the bad guy? Yeah, he's the boyfriend. Oh, uh, Tom um, Amundis. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, the bad, the bad guy is Craig, Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko, who, who's like kind of interesting casting because he, I feel like, mostly does comedy stuff. So for him to play the villain, it reminds me a little bit of another um, Shane Black script, which is The Last Boy Scout, where they cast Taylor Negron as a villain. As a villain, and he's usually kind of a he was a comedian, you know, he was a stand-up and did a lot of comedy stuff. Um, so for him to then be a, a villain, the same with Craig Bierko, and I think Craig Bierko's like okay as the villain. I don't think he's as memorable as Taylor Negron in The Last Boy Scout. 
No, he's not, but I'd still, you know, I get it. I get it. Did you know he was almost Chandler on Friends? I read that today. Interesting. That's he was NBC's first. Yeah, he was NBC's first choice as Chandler in Friends. Should so Matthew Perry have played the villain in uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight? No. <laughs> I, <love> <laughs> I don't, Perry, I don't see no. that working. <laughs> no. And Swimmer, I maybe. Who watches... Maybe. Swim time all the time. Um, and I say that as somebody who watches Fool's Russian way too much. Oh, you and Adam um, Risky. Love he loves that movie. I love it. I, I know it's goofy and it's dumb and whatever, but like, come on. It's Chandler and Salma Hayek in Vegas. And they're going to have a baby and she has a chihuahua. Yeah, right. Oh, it's, it's fun. It's cute. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I might have dragged my ex to see that in theaters. So. And the whole nine yards. I love the whole nine yards. Um, but I do love the whole nine yards too. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I, you know, it's, it was interesting. Cause like, again, it was one of those things like I was watching this and I was like, wait, I was like, Brian Cox is in this. And I was like, Oh wait, David Morse is in this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know? And cause like, honestly, for me, it was always just about Gina and Samuel L. Jackson. Like everything else kind of like drifted away. And there's actually part of me that kind of wishes like they had just gone off together and like not necessarily been romantically involved, but just like been total badasses, like taking down bad guys together. Like that's what I wanted to see. Like I'm, you know, I get it. Like she has the, you know, like the kid and the the boyfriend, and they're gonna go live on a remote farm somewhere and have a happy life. But I was like, but you're so badass. Like why can't you do both and like go do stuff? I don't know. And I know there's supposed to be a sequel, but you know. Is, I don't know. is the implication at the end because I was struggling a little bit with like this idea that she has to be <sighs> maternal. Like I think audiences would have rejected a movie and you were kind of speaking to this a little bit earlier. Like once she becomes Charlie again, if she had literally been like, all right, well I didn't want to be a mom. So forget the kid. Um, I think audiences would have probably fairly rejected that movie if she just abandoned her child. Uh, but this idea that we can't have a strong female action hero, because who's the template? The template is Ripley, right? And Ripley, of course, has to be yeah. maternal. And so this idea that we can't have a strong female action hero, and we have had some sense, because, again, I brought up Atomic Blonde earlier, and there's no, like kid subplot in Atomic Blonde. I don't really like Atomic Blonde. I don't think that movie really works. Um, but there's some cool stuff in it. Um, is the implication yeah, it's, at it's the so end that, that, that... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. You go ahead. And then I'll jump in. I just didn't know if the implication at the end where she throws the knife... Are they trying <laughs> to sort of marry those two sides of her? She's still going to be badass Charlie, but she is also still going to love and take care of this kid. I think they were trying to, but I don't think it was conveyed in a way that actually felt like it meant something, to be really honest. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like she was like, you know, a wild boar came onto their property and she had to like subdue it or something. She just throws a knife. <laughs> wild, like, well, yeah. wild boar. That's where you go first. I don't. I do. Whatever. They're <laughs> in a remote area. I think they're like in Santa Clarita or something where they shot that thing, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting how many sort of female centric action movies are centered around this idea of the sort of the taking down of the, the maternal instinct in favor 
of a different life. Because even like with Ripley, like we know that she's a mom, but like in Aliens, like we find out like, you know, the daughter's gone, but she takes on Newt, but then Alien 3, they kill Newt because they literally have to strip her for any sort of like real emotional grounding because for some reason that was a thing, you know, in action movies back then. And like, look at like something like the Kill Bill movies. I actually think the Kill Bill movies were like the first ones to get it right. Um, in that way, where like, Uma Thurman could be a total badass, but at the same time, like, she got to be a mom at the end. Right. And, and in no way did like they sacrifice her pursuit of Bill in exchange for her to take on the role of mother. Mm-hmm. Like she got both at the end of that movie. Right. And I still think that that scene of her in the bathroom sobbing is like, Oh my gosh. Literally every time I see it, like it, it makes me weep. Yeah. It's so every good. Single time. It's so good. You know? And even like, when you look at like something like Mad Max, we were like talking about like Charlize Theron and Atomic Blonde, like, you know, you have the, the concept of like the mothers where she, the, the land of the women that she came from and like mother and the women who are owned by, um, I'm totally picking on the bad guy and, and Fury Road. But oh, like, so am I. The fact that, like, <laughs> like how women have to, like... Immortan Joe, where, like, sorry. Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Sorry. Um, but, like, those women, like, are very proactive in their own well-being, but they're also maternal. So it's, like, it's it, it's taken sort of an, a while for people to sort of being okay with that which is weird to me but i think even like you know you see like how like a character like black widow where like you know they talk about the fact that like they had to like basically give her a hysterectomy as a teenager Mm -hmm. so that she would never have the possibility of being maternal because you can't in the context of those marvel movies you can't be a badass and be a mom (laughs) which is kind of a bummer if you think about it well you have Um, hawkeye he's a badass and he's a dad right but you know, dads don't have to be there, right? Right. That's that's the whole thing because that's it's traditional up. family values. Yeah, you know, you've got what's her face staying home, being amazingly gorgeous, Linda and being a super awesome mom. Yes, oh, love her. <laughs> I love her. Um, you know, so you have her at home taking care of things, so Hawkeye can go out and do his Hawkeye things. Right. Um, you know, so it's it's interesting. Like I was thinking about that. Like as you know, we talking about like different things. Like even. The idea of like the Resident Evil movies kind of play around with it too. Once you get to final chapter, in terms of I never Alice. made it that far. Well, that's because you're a terrible person, Patrick. I'm I just know. joking. You're not. You're a horror BFF. Even the Underworld movies go into that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's always. It seems like there's always been this sort of weird thing, like back you know 20, 30 plus years ago, where society's like well you have to either be a mom or you can be a badass but you can't be both right um and i think in some ways this movie could have been progressive for the time and could have let charlie just be the badass but also be a mom but the way that they just frame everything at the end like it just to me like if you're an actress who stars in thelma and louise like one of the greatest sort of stories about women ever told especially in the 1990s and then you're in a movie where you're a total action badass and you're ending where like you're just drinking wine with this kind of lame dude who wears <laughs> terribly ugly sweaters like you know and oh you can throw a knife but like what does that actually right, mean like right. i don't think the way that they frame it is in a way that really means anything 
No, know? it's it's a real like return to status quo kind of sellout of the character. Yeah. And maybe that's why like you don't have like maybe that's one of the reasons why like a sequel never really came about other than the fact that I think the movie did okay, but I don't think it did great. It did like um, 90 million worldwide and it cost like 60. So it did okay. I mean, it, that's not yeah. a, a losing proposition, but domestically it didn't do great. And I think in the 90s, that's where the money was, you know, and now obviously worldwide is so much more important. But at that time, um, if you didn't do great domestically, there was much less chance of a sequel. Yeah, I totally agree. My dog is about to start barking because she yeah. just went to high alert. So I was like, okay, hold oh, on. that's okay. I was on mute. <laughs> she's, she's on high alert, keeping, keeping the neighborhood safe. But yeah, so it's kind of like one of these things where like, as somebody who loves action movies, who, who loves action stories centered around women, like there's so much good stuff in there, but that last 10 minutes is a bit frustrating Yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Where it almost feels like, oh, okay, like, that's where we're going to take the character. Like, she doesn't need any of that. Like, honestly, I think the best bet would have been Charlie and her kid just going off and living their life. You know? Like, does she need that guy? Like, what is he really doing? You know, I don't know. <laughs> tell, tell, to tell terrible jokes at Christmas? I don't know. Yeah, he's, um, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a noodle. He's not the greatest. He just, he's just sort of like every sort of just, meh. Yeah. Like actor from the nineties, and I hopefully he's not listening and hating me for it. He's it was a big fan. Don't worry. I know just the way his character was presented. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was just you know I think I I you know I I would have loved to see Gina Davis action here, and it was funny because like when I was again doing sort of research, I didn't realize like how sort of really quickly after this like things sort of slowed down. Where like she did the Stuart Little movies. You know, for a few years. And I know she ended up like becoming a mom in real life and things like that and probably wanted to take time to be with her family and stuff like that. But I guess I just didn't realize like how quickly everything sort of slowed down for her in terms of her work in front of the camera. Like I know she does she's done a ton of activism over the years and yes. stuff like that, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, and things like that. But I just I didn't realize um, you know. I, I guess it just was like, you know, to me, Gina Davis is just always there because she's just somebody I'd grown up always loving. So No, she's yet another actor just done dirty by Hollywood, you know? Yeah. And I always forget that she won an Oscar for The Accidental Tourist. She Because in did. my head, I feel like it should have been for The Fly. Yeah, she's great in The Accidental Tourist, but she's definitely playing what... Nathan Rabin used to refer to as the manic pixie dream girl. Uh, she's more of a yeah. screenwriter's construct than she is. And like, if you're going to get someone who has to convincingly turn that into a real person, Gina Davis is the person to do it. But she is still, because I just rewatched that movie maybe a year or two ago, uh, and it still feels like a screenwriter construct, even though Gina Davis is great in the part. But Gina Davis, that's the thing about Gina Davis. My crush on Gina Davis started with her appearances on Family Ties, where she played like the housekeeper for a few episodes, and it has never subsided. That. Yes, no, I just have always been such a huge fan of Gina Davis, like almost everyone. Like I can't think of very many people who don't love Gina Davis. She was really great. Like honestly, like when they they announced the Exorcist TV show, I she was the reason I watched it. 
I was as skeptical as every other horror fan out there. Yeah. And but as soon as I heard she was involved with it, I was like, yes, give it to me. And like, she is the reason. I mean, actually, you know, all the seasons were great, even when they moved past that first season. But man, like, she was so freaking good in that. Yeah. Um, I only watched the first season because she wasn't on the subsequent seasons, right? Yes, yeah, it, it, it's still good. Like, because the story changes and stuff like that. Right. But, you know, it was one of those when they kind of, I, I won't get into specifics because I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but I was just like, oh, you know, once they, once you realize what's happening and you're just like, oh, holy shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. that, it takes that performance to a completely different place. And yeah. I was just like, I went back and rewatched it even. And I don't get a chance to really rewatch a lot of like modern TV. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because I almost feel like in a way, like <clears throat> even though it seems like people weren't ready for a movie like this and they weren't ready to sort of actively support female-led like action projects, as I was watching this, um, it really like made me realize like I think this is a movie that really opened the door for Alias. Oh, okay. Um, you know what I mean? Because I was a huge Alias fan. Um, and I, and now I see it, like, you know what I mean? Like I see, you know, like if they would have made this story into like a TV show, I'm curious how different it would have been. Yeah. Where like you started off, we're like, oh, she's just, you know, a, you know, a housewife and doing her thing. And then, oh, whoops, all hell breaks loose. Like, you know, if there, it. I mean, it's been like almost what tw- over twenty five years now. Like, so if they're going to remake it, they probably could at this point. Um, I would love to see it like as a TV show. Like, yeah. give me like a ten episode thing where you could really get into the depth of it because I feel like there's a lot of interesting things that get just like sort of thematically approached in here, but they don't go to any sort of depth. You know, there's a lot of cool shit in it. Like, I love watching Gina Davis as Charlie take shots. Like I tried for years to try to figure out how to do that whole rolling maneuver across <laughs> my mouth for years and could never pull it off. Um, so that's super awesome. Um, you know, and her flashing Samuel L. Jackson just to divert his attention from his seeping open wound on his stomach. And <laughs> like, you know, I, but I'd love it. To, I'd love to see them go deeper because there are some really interesting things that they are trying to explore here that I just say I don't think they go as deep as they could have. I love the premise, you know, uh, this idea of this woman who wakes up one day to realize she's this badass assassin. Um, and I like all the stuff as she's sort of figuring it out. I like the sequence where she's cutting the carrot and she's like, Oh, I used to be a chef. Chefs do that. Uh, <laughs> right? chefs do that is a great line. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and again, it just it keeps coming back to Gina Davis because um, I think everything that works about the movie and I, I mean, I enjoy Samuel L. Jackson's performance and something about their dynamic has never fully worked for me. This viewing of it and I've probably only seen the movie like three times, maybe um, I think I enjoyed their relationship the most on this viewing and, and it started to click for me. I really like the line where he talks about having gone to prison and he's not going back because it makes his character kind of finally make sense in terms of his involvement in this whole thing. Um, 
I don't know why their their dynamic didn't used to work for me, and maybe it's residual resentment on the Die Hard with a Vengeance because I am somebody who doesn't totally love that movie. Um, I love that movie, but there are things about it that make me really angry, and the whole concept of reverse racism in that movie really bugs me because okay. I feel like that was. Like they play it up for comedy, and I'm sure in the '90s we were all laughing, but I don't find it very funny. Right. Where they they basically turn Samuel L. Jackson into a racist. Where in the '90s, you know, people of color were dealing with some really serious shit, and he had every right to be as angry as he was, and to play it off for laughs does bug me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know. See, my objection was always, and I haven't watched it in years, but my objection was always like, it's not a diehard movie if it's not Bruce Willis having to work through shit alone. As soon as you give him a partner, it, it stops being a diehard movie. That was, you know, my objection but to it in the 90s. But he always kind of has a partner. I mean, because technically, in a way, well, like, there's Reginald right. Bell Johnson in the right. first one. He works with Art J. Evans from Fright Night in part Art two, Evans, to a degree. Baby. Yeah, um, don't forget the J for Fright Night, and oh, then you sorry, know he okay. has Samuel L. Jackson and in, in, you know Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then there's Justin Long and Live Free or Die no, Hard. Those later movies don't even. Count. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I, they play Live Free or Die Hard a lot on AMC, and I've, I've watched parts of it here and there, and I don't hate it as much as everybody else. No, does. I don't like, hate I do it. Rec- it's not even the worst movie. It's just. For me, Die Hard has just been, it has always been, uh, like, lethal weapon. It's always been, like, diminishing returns. No, I get it. Although, is it diminishing from Lethal Weapon 1 to Lethal Weapon 2, though? I like Lethal Weapon 2, but it's not as good as Lethal Weapon 1. Oh, dude, I don't know. I've seen it way more. Okay. Because it used to show up on pay-per-view all the time for free, and I would feel like I was losing money if I didn't stop and watch it. (laughs) <laughs> you're like i have to watch it it's right like, it's like the episode of friends where I'm they get the free porn and they're like uh, if i turn yeah. this off it's gonna go away so i had to watch lethal weapon 2 every time it came on <laughs> yeah i think for me like there's there's lethal weapon one for me is like i i love it because of how dark a lot of aspects are of it yeah. um and i love how wonderfully amazing uh tom atkins holds his eggnog as he's getting shot like that to me is like the greatest thing of the 80s it's very hyper specific Um, it's it's so specific um (laughs) but there's something really interesting about lethal weapon 2 for me where like i think because it changed it like for me as a kid like i didn't know what apartheid was and it really opened me up to things that i didn't sure it it felt bigger than los angeles and it gave me like perspectives that i never really had um some things in retrospect as we learned about certain stars of those movies is right. really interesting in retrospect. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's intriguing, but I, I would never, I would never call less lethal up two lesser than one. I think they're both really phenomenal, but in very, very different ways because sure. I think one pushes things in a very serious way where two pushes things in more of a popcorn way. Yeah. Definitely. I think so many action movies that came after two, Oh, everything to Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. Where Lethal Weapon 1 just set a bar for storytelling in general. If that makes any kind of sense. Sure. Yeah, definitely. But Lethal Weapon 1 does have my apartment in it, so... What oh, does have? it really? It does, yeah. The Christmas tree scene. Nice. 
Yeah, that's we. I, I've never told you that. I think maybe you have actually. Now that you say the oh, Christmas okay. tree I'm scene, like, I'm, I'm like, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, how would I have not said that? I talk about that way too much. But yeah, the Christmas tree lot is actually a used car lot. It's right across the street from my apartment building. And you can see my bedroom in the reverse shots. It's nice. really fun. Yes. And our building literally was that color until last year. <laughs> so they literally hadn't changed it in like over 30 years. Right. So it was great. Oh my gosh. So do you have a, a uh, do you have a do you have a favorite Rennie Harlan movie? Oh my god. I mean, like his Can I 90s... not say anything other than Dream Master? Like you could, yeah, because like, that's not my favorite Rennie Harlan movie. Oh, you know, <coughs> speaking of Die Hard, you know we have Die Hard too. I love Die Hard too. Yeah, I love Die Hard too. I don't watch Cliffhanger as much as I probably should. Cliffhanger's really good. He his nineties are pretty unimpeachable. I gotta say, because I don't even hate. Cut- yeah. I, I enjoy Cutthroat Island. I I think that's a pretty good pirate. Movie. I actually. I rewatched that like two, it was like the beginning of the pandemic because we it was happened to be on right before we lost cable and I was like all right well because I, I I I didn't see it in theaters um, no I didn't either and and I was just like all right why not and yeah I that that actually ended up surprising me a lot where I'm like really people were really this mean to this movie like it's still fun i mean is it perfect no but you know me i don't need something to be perfect to be enjoyable um but yeah like i i think i mean how do i go against dream master i just rewatched it like if like last week actually which is okay. kind of funny it was even it was even before you asked me to do this oh wow just, okay i've been in and i well i did my my big project in my pop culture classes was uh examining Freddy Krueger as an artifact of popular culture. Okay. So I've been watching a lot of nightmares, and for some reason, HBO Max has every single nightmare movie, including the remake, but Dream Master. Interesting. Um, this is yeah, Rennie Harlan erasure. Music. Yeah, oh, maybe, and I yeah. will not stand for it. <laughs> so I busted. So I busted out my Blu-ray last week uh, and rewatched it and love it. Like I'm, not, I'm never going to tell you it's his best movie, sure. but is it my favorite Rennie Harlan movie? Probably. Okay. It probably is. Um, you know, I just, that movie was like huge to me as a kid. So, and I have, I literally have only ever seen uh, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane once, so I can't even give any sort of opinion on that. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't supposed to be watching it. Oh, uh, got it. So, yes, he was, my mom, that was one of the people my mom was like, you're not allowed to watch Andrew Dice Clay stuff. So, but I did. Good. So take uh, that. What, what is your? What is? Yeah. What is your favorite, Rennie Harlan? Oddly enough, it is. I just did an episode of the Film Feast podcast with Matt Bledsoe, and uh, I think I picked Ford Fairlane as my favorite. Okay. It's not again not his okay. best, <laughs> uh, because he has Die Hard two that same year, and I would say Die Hard two or Cliffhanger are probably his best movies. Um, but I just can't deny my love almost, of the adventures of Ford Fairlane. I get it. I would almost, in some ways, I would almost give the edge in terms of what we, I would consider his best. I would almost give the edge to cliffhanger over Die Hard two only because Die Hard two was sort of working within the confines of like this existing world and this character in very familiar beats and right. things like yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
but it does have naked William Sadler. It does. So, so there's that. But <laughs> Cliffhanger to me, it just pushed things in such a different way. Well, it's and Die like, Hard on a Mountain. Introduced me to, I mean, yeah, but it, but in a way that didn't feel like as when I first saw Cliffhanger, I didn't necessarily think Die Hard on a Mountain. Yeah. Now, as somebody who's you know spent decades of studying this stuff, of course. Now it's evident that to me was just like, oh, I'm going to go watch a, you know, a movie with like Sylvester Stallone doing crazy shit on a mountain. And mm-hmm. hey, look, there's a scary guy from Henry Portugal with serial killer in it. Um, and John Lithgow, who was the scary dad in Footloose, who made everybody <laughs> feel bad because because, you know, he didn't want them to dance. Right. No dance. So, yeah. But I mean, I we do watch Die Hard. We, we watch the Die Hard movies a lot in our house, actually. OK. Um. Yeah, we're creatures of habit. Um, and again, like I said, AMC has been playing the hell out of them. Like, honest to God, for the last, like, two months, the amount of times that we have watched the first three Die Hard movies, Armageddon and Con Air, is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> because they're always on somewhere. So, yeah. Um, you know, so. I, but it's okay. Like, I, I can't be watching a lot worse things, so. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, I just. I just think the way, especially like the way that he pushes some of those sequences, like I, we, we rewatched cliffhanger last year and there's parts of it that still kind of make me, I have a thing about heights too. Um, that makes me really nervous in a way that I don't get nervous during, during Die Hard too, other right. than I just hate traveling. So I hate airports as it is. Um, <laughs> and also I feel like there's certain aspects of Die Hard too, where I'm just like, why didn't they just do this? And this all would have been over. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I'm one of those. I'm the, I'm the well actually person. Sometimes <laughs> I have to get out of my own head. Um, yeah. I mean, as flawed as the long kiss goodnight is, I was looking at a list of like female led action movies and outside of kill bill, this might be the best one. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really fantastic ones. Um, it was interesting too, because I was kind of thinking about Everly Oh, I do love Everly. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if, like, Joe Lynch was sort of inspired a little bit by Long Kiss Goodnight when he was working at He might have been, and it's been a really long time since we talked about that movie, so I don't really remember off the top of my head. Um, But it was one of those, like, I was watching, I was like, like, oh, yeah, Everly was a thing, and that was really cool. Yeah. Um, But I, I do think that there are a lot of movies that really actually owe a lot to Long Kiss Goodnight. Even if it doesn't necessarily seem like it's so. Sure. You know? Yeah. But, you know, it's again, it's one of those, like, would I call it a perfect movie? No. Um, you know, do I wish there were certain things about it that were a little different? Of course. Um, but, like, it's still pretty badass. And Gina Davis rules. And I'll tell you what, that deer scene scares the crap out of me every time. Like, I do, <laughs> like. I remembered it because I remember I interviewed somebody for something and I, we talked about the animatronic deer. So like in the back of my head, I knew it was coming and right. I still, the, as I rewatched this twice for our, our conversation, well, I literally jumped you. twice. <laughs> that's, I liked, I liked that's it hilarious that it got you the second time. Yeah. Like I literally watched it and then rewatched it again. Like it, within two hours still jumped at the deer. So go figure. That's phenomenal. It is. It's, <laughs> it's good filmmaking right there is what I tell you. So I know I was like, part of me was kind of like thinking like, you know, we just, we, I just feel like there was so many great like female led like 
movies of this nature in the 90s that just sort of got overlooked. Like, I think like, the reason, like, a movie like G.I. Jane resonated is because of sort of military stuff. Do you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, meanwhile, you've got, like, Tank Girl that freaking rules, you Tank know. Tank Girl is underappreciated. It, I will I will agree with you there. It really is. Lori Petty's amazing. Um, yeah. You know, so, like... It's a bummer. Um, I was going to ask you too, you know, because um, somebody, I just saw somebody talk about this on Twitter. This was a, a sort of a surprising movie for me um, that I saw during the pandemic, uh, but I wasn't expecting to be as badass as it was. But did you watch the rhythm section? Not yet. I will tell you what, that movie really surprised me. I love Blake Lively. I'll watch her in whatever. Okay. Um, you know, I've been a fan of her since her Gossip Girl days. Um, and that movie, to me, I was like, oh, okay. And she's really good in it. Um, and, of course, like Jude Law is in it and Sterling that. And Sterling K. Brown is in it as well. Um, but that is a really good action movie that I feel like kind of came and went in 2020. Well, um, I think, I think the title didn't do it we any had, favors. The title didn't do it any favors. We all had a lot going on that year. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't remember what, but I think, I think you're right. I think we were busy. Yeah, I think we all had a little bit, a little bit of other things on our plate. So, <laughs> so I think maybe we were looking for things that were a little more soothing at that point. Right. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I do need to catch yeah. up with it though. Yeah, I highly recommend it. It's one of those like I, I I think somebody gave me their digital code for it. Oh, nice! And I was like, sure, why not? I'll just you know I put it on one night, and I was like, oh my god, this is really great. So yeah, so that rules. All right. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about uh, the long kiss good night? <sighs> one thing I will say is I wish the line "die screaming motherfucker" sounded better because for some reason. It still doesn't work. <laughs> and it should, because it's everything that I love. Right. Really, like, right. badass, hardened, like, catchphrase. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I, it's, God, she tried. She tried. It's and not again, Gina Davis's like, fault that it doesn't totally No, land. but, you know, it is the movie that taught me that life is pain. <laughs> so, if nothing else. It is the movie that I learned where life is pain. My daughter so. has not been feeling yeah, well, and I failed to give her that speech, and I really need to do that. Uh, I think it's time. Yeah, it definitely is time. Like, Rosie, life is pain. Suck it up. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all she needs to know. <laughs> well, thank that's you so much for talking about this movie with me. It was super fun to do something non-horror and non-Wes Craven related. I know. What are we doing here? Well, Am we I were... allowed to talk about anything that's not horror? You are. Okay, I wasn't sure. Sometimes I don't feel like it. <laughs> um, but well, Craven Craven will be back next month, and we're doing uh, Music of the Heart. Somehow that just didn't fit into June's exploitation, huh? Weirdly enough, I was going to do like orchestra exploitation for one day, but uh, I did not. <laughs> but you just couldn't work it in. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> there weren't enough other movies to watch besides uh, Music of the Heart mm-hmm. or Mr. Holland's Opus. Ah, uh, well, you know, I think I think you could have. I think you should have forced people's hand on that one. I should have. You're right. I kind of fucked up. It's but, your show. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's your rules. It's your rules, Patrick. They just, you know, they have to play along. Life is pain. Life is pain, everyone. 
Heather, where can people find you online? I don't know. On the internet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter over at the horror chick. Uh, you can find my writing over at dailydead.com. Um, am I anywhere else these days? Not really. Uh, but you can find Monsters Makeup and Effects uh, Volume 1 currently on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, it's on Barnes & Noble. It's even on Target and Walmart's website, which nice. is crazy. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, 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 all, I'm, I don't want to say worldwide, because I don't know that I'm worldwide, but I'm nationwide. And yeah. I'm on your side. Um, <laughs> so, but that's about it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you again so for doing this. You don't tell people where to find you. I mean, listen, just we're on Twitter at F this movie and, uh, all right. At F this movie.com. All right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Heather. And we will be back next week for the last show of June exploitation. It's sword and sorcery day. So Rob DiCristino and I will be talking about the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which I have never seen. Oh, I haven't seen it either. Intriguing. So that should be Mm. fun. But uh, until then, thanks again, Heather. Thank you, Patrick. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.